You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frank, and I am glad that you are here. I am surrounded with uh, three three fifths of the normal crowd. I I can't do math. I took one math about (laughs) the Whatever, whatever. Three of the normal other four that's with me. I'm making this way more complicated. Than it needs wow. To be. Yeah. Um, that's a common core math. You know, I'll be fair that part of the confusion, <laughs> man, fractions. part of the confusion is that there's usually two people in Andrew's screen and now there's only one. So that really right. throws it off. Right. Up in Baltimore, Jeff Simpson. Hey, everyone. Down in um, Sumter, South Carolina, where apparently it's very cold. Delmar Pete. Howdy ho. How cold? Uh, it's like everywhere else in the state got snow, but we got like really, really cold rain cold. Mm. Yeah. And by himself in the morning after ministry studios, we got Andrew Larson. Greetings and salutations. It's cold here as well, people. It was yep. 61 on my way to lunch. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It's rough. Virgin. Andrew, Andrew, uh, first off, I had to Tim- turn on my, I had to turn on my I seat warmer. I just like that you gave me an actual temperature and not like Delmar's southern colloquialism of it just was cold rain cold. <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't uh, know. It's just cold. <laughs> probably like uh, 50. Andrew, is, uh, is Tim uh, in a seven-hour line right now waiting for a bu- bucket of popcorn from a C-rated <laughs> Disney character? He is not because somebody in his congregation got one for him already. That's true love. That's, that's, uh, awesome. that's Or enabling. That's how, that's how you know you've got the right people. I know we've been texting, and it seems like everyone had a pretty eventful weekend. So I didn't. Mine was pretty chill. So uh, I think uh, – I don't know which is worse. I think, Jeff, you win because yours – Mine was has... potentially the most disastrous. I will right. agree with that. Explain but what I think happened be- to you. Well, okay. We'll let people decide which one was actually worse in terms of like for a church service. But mine was probably – the most potentially disastrous as far as like your church building. So sure. we got down into the teens on Sunday morning and uh, we had that winter storm come through that everybody else had. It snowed last night and my daughter and I went out in the dark uh, to the school across the street and sledded on the hill a few times because there's streetlights and uh, it was a lot of fun and I'm a fun dad. So that's what I did. Uh, but in the morning it was like in the teens when I got to church and there's a lady that gets here early to make coffee. And she said to me, this was like nine o'clock services, 1045. She said to me, Hey, you know, pastor Jeff, uh, the sink isn't working in the kitchen. Now that sink is notorious about once a year pipes freeze. And I was thinking to myself, I should really do something about that. And then I forget because it only happens once a year. Well, after the service was over, right? So the pipes have been frozen the whole service, no water in the kitchen in the sink after the service is over. I'm like, all right, I should go take a look. You know, because what will happen is the ice will freeze it and it'll burst a little hole in the end in the edge of like the copper pipe. And then when it thaws, it's just going to full city water pressure come out. So I opened the bottom of the sink to look for where the water shutoffs were in the pipe. And what had happened was the like the valve that connects the copper pipe to the bottom of the sink had actually gotten pushed off the pipe. So under the sink, all there was was just the end of a copper pipe with no valve on it. And it was still frozen, but it was starting to like drip water a little bit. 
And the way I figured that out is right before I went up to the kitchen, I had come into my office, which if you could see on video, I'm in a basement and the kitchen is directly above me. So also directly above, you know, cameras and my computer and guitars. And there was a couple of drips of water on my couch. Oh, no. And that's what made me say, I got to go check. So I found that and I immediately was like, it dawned on me what was going to happen in a like panic mode. And another church was coming to use our building at one o'clock. It was like 1215. Thankfully, Home Depot is literally like two minute drive away. So I ran to Home Depot, came back, got the parts, jumped under the sink in my khakis and dress shirt, got the new valve on. I actually had to take a lighter and melt the ice in the end of the pipe to get enough room to get the valve, the new valve on. So I did all that, got it on there, turned the valve off. And then threw a space heater under the sink to get the water, get the ice to melt so I could see if it was going to leak and all of that. And I got all that done by like 1245, one o'clock, and I got the sink hooked back up. Nobody even knew from any of the other churches that it happened. But uh, I texted my elders and they were like, man, thank God you went and looked because it would have been complete chaos. It would have just been full city water pressure coming from a half inch copper pipe under the sink. And the guys on the video could see this, but right behind me is where the water would have come down on the wall, like guitars, giant banner printer, all that stuff. So that was a disaster, disaster avoided. Thank God. Yeah. That would have been very, very expensive. Don't do that. Yes, for sure. Yeah. You definitely harness your inner tool man, uh, Tim, the tool man, Taylor. Hey, thank, thank you, dad, for making me help you fix stuff over the years because That gave, that gave me the confidence and the willingness to be like, oh, man, this has to get fixed right now. And it's funny. You go from hoping the pipes like thaw out to really hoping the pipes stay frozen long enough for you to get a, something on there to get it so it won't so it won't explode later. Crazy. Did you, did you shut off water to the church itself while you were running to Home Depot just in case? I, I didn't. I, I took my chances because even if I did that, it would have still had all the water in the line. Um, but the crazy part is there was a, there's a shutoff valve, like underneath where I was working and I couldn't close that because that the valve was all full of ice. So there's no way to close that valve off. So I was like, man, I just got to go real quick and come back. And thankfully really there's no damage at all. And the hot water's back and everything's good. So praise Jesus for that. Dells, you had, uh, also a surprise this weekend. Tell us what yeah. So mine was, you know, every Sunday we get up to do load in and load out at our campus. So it's like seven twelve. I'm getting ready to go to our campus to load in, and I get a phone call from our senior pastor, and he says, "Hey Delmar," I was like, "Hey, um, how's it? Is everything? Are you okay?" And he goes, "I'm not." When your pastor calls you and you say, "How's things going?" and he he tells you directly, "Things are not good." You have no idea what he's about to say. All you know is it's probably going to be impactful. Well, he told me that he wasn't good because he just started throwing up everywhere. So it's 7.15 at this point, and he says, I need you to preach for me today. All right, so services start at 8.30 a.m. So I was at the office at 7.30, and I took his manuscript, which given our conversation last week, that we talked about manuscripts versus outline. I was able to take his manuscript, haul it down, put me and my stories into it, turn it into a heavy outline in about 45 minutes. And then I had to preach 
all three services. But I will say it was it was very helpful to have his full manuscript because I was able to know contextually what he was saying and not just bullet points. So kudos to that. I will give team manuscript a point. But yeah, I had to be ready to rip in like an hour and 15 minutes from when I got the call uh, to preach on stage. So that was definitely something I've not fielded in that way before. And I, I thought about it. I could just go up here and read this. But then I'm like, well, I can. But how genuine is that? It's going to sound like I'm reading it, you know, because it's not me and I haven't voiced it. So that's why I kind of retroed it back to me and went with it. But that was definitely an experience yesterday. So last minute call in. To, Has that ever happened to you before? Or anything? Hold up. What two questions? Jeff, first of all, has that happened um, where the senior pastor has called out and I fielded it? Not that quick. Now, two weeks ago, the stream dropped and I had to go up. I had about an hour's notice to go up and preach. But that's the first time that had ever happened. So I have really gone from never happening to in the last three weeks, it's happened twice. So So basically, you've had the like fantasy nightmare that every associate pastor or youth pastor has ever had happened to you twice in the last month. Because all of us us did that. All of us would be like, what would happen if he called me or I was like as a worship pastor and I was thinking, and this happened once, but my father-in-law was playing drums that day and he was like, I got it. And he just pulled the sermon out on his phone and was killed it. But I've always had that like as a worship pastor, what if the pastor said, I can't preach today. Can you share and he tells me as I'm like singing the last song. Yeah. And like all of us have had some version of that like crazy nightmare. I before. definitely super felt that. And then also it was like because our church was literally starting our new series like that launches our whole year. I had I couldn't just pull, uh, you know, an oldie but a goodie. I had to use that week's because this week's builds on the previous week's. So it, it was definitely. Yeah, that was now, when you put it that way, but when your pastor calls you and he says, this is where we're at, it's like, well, then that's what we got to do, you know? You got to do it. Yep. So, now what no, did you was, ask, Andrew? I was, I was just asking if you guys had to change um, PowerPoint or keynote slides or anything. I, I, man, I, I viewed his PowerPoints, what he had up there, and I managed to keep everything. Um, there was a couple parts where he would use a story here, and I would... I don't need a story there, but I would put a story here. You know what I'm saying? So I would kind of bump some parts up, take some parts down because I did know that would be so last minute to, uh, to do that. I will tell you something that's funny. So I get up on the stage, right? And I grab my Bible. I'm on the stage and I had actually grabbed my devotional Bible. And the only problem with that is my devotional Bible is a reader's Bible. So it doesn't have chapter and verse. <laughs> So I got up there. I was like, we're in Colossians. Let me just, I, I for like, like literally about a two minutes where we went out there. I realized that I pulled out the Bible and I just kind of underlined kind of where we're at, but I also had the text in my outline. So the first passage I read, I read it out of my devotion Bible, but the subsequent passages, I just kind of read them off the tech, the, the table. But yeah, it was one of those. And I just got the new Schuler Bible from my wife. For Christmas, I was so excited. I want to use it. She listens to this podcast and heard me say like four months ago how much I love that Bible. And that she went and got me as my main Christmas present. I was like, oh, I wish I'd have grabbed that. But yeah. True love. Real love. Yes. <laughs> so so pipes bursting at the church. 
We have uh, the biggest fear for a lot of pastors, like having them make a sermon in an hour. And then we have Andrew. Who, Funniest story uh, for sure. Yeah. Who um, is allowing, you know, demons in their church. Tell, Andrew, tell us about uh, what happened. This like, did you sing all creatures? Cause that would have been perfect. That would have been really, Francis. really good. But we, uh, we had a cat in the service, the whole service in a stroller, like a zip up pet stroller. Uh, we typically have the picture was incredible. Seating. Yeah. Uh, one of our newer attendees snapped that during the service, but we, uh, yeah, we, we typically have outdoor seating, but due to inclement weather, we had a big storm and a bunch of tornadoes come through our part of the state yesterday morning. And so we were getting 30 mile an hour gusts during our service. So we weren't going to put a 65 inch TV on a stand on the front step during that. <laughs> and so we had sent out an email Saturday saying, hey, if you're planning to sit outside, you either need to be online or come inside. And we had some people that didn't check the email and they were traveling from us to Jacksonville after the service. And uh, they had a cat in a stroller. Young young couple that was visiting some some other fairly newer attendees. And I just said something like, thank goodness we are kind of becoming known for the church that's cool with being weird. Because I can't imagine rolling into, you know, choose your mega church with a, with a cat in a stroller. And that thing meowed the whole service. I mean, it was. <laughs> that was, was an amen. Not, it was a feline amen. It was not happy to be in that. Was it stroller. like the cat annoyed meow? Yeah. It was like. Meow, oh, man, was, oh. oh, my gosh. <laughs> Surely the lady, that, the lady that works with me, she's our ministry facilitator. Uh, she went back to, to, you know, to see the baby. And well, that's not a baby. Just, you know, it kind of sounded, it was in a stroller. It was kind of cooing a little bit, but not a baby. Not, not a human person. That is hilarious, man. Do you guys, do any of you guys ever have people bring like a, uh, a non-service pet to church before? Every yeah, single Sunday. When I, wor- when I worked in Orlando. Really? Well, because we have the outdoor seating. Oh, and so we have people that bring their dogs outside and then, you know, it rains two drops. And so they bring the TV in and then everyone's hurrying to come in and someone's got a poodle on a lap. And so like, do you, here's a, here's a deep cut um, from a throwback. Do you remember any, I know LMA Clampett. Y'all know Ellie Mae. Nobody knows Ellie Mae Clampett. No. Wow. Somebody listened to from the Beverly Hillbillies. I was that's I was gonna say from the hillbillies. Anyways, the, her whole thing was she was in love with animals, and we have a student in our church. Like she is super big into like competitive animal stuff. So like, um, she brings rabbits and chickens. She had a gamecock. Like it was crazy. Um, she's actually about to give me a little rabbit for my man cave here. Its name's Nutmeg. It's house trained. So sometimes you don't know what she's going to bring, but it's always like these cute animals, not like these aggressive ones that you have. Some people would bring, but uh, yeah, every now and then we get the visitors. Wow. Um, well, when I, I mean, worked in Orlando, oh, sorry. When I worked what? in Orlando, one of the pastors I worked for would bring his dog to the office once in a while. And uh, he was like a big, like German shepherd wolf kind of thing. So he's pretty intimidating. And then uh, one time the dog was like in the sanctuary with us and like left the left the left a present in the middle of the sanctuary. Oh. That was the last time he brought, <laughs> that was the last time he brought the dog. Everybody was like, 
why are you why are you doing this? Why are you bring and that's I gotta imagine, Andrew, you're always in the corner. Like people are can I bring my poodle on my lap in? What are you gonna say? No. I I would bring my dog into the office every now and then. Now I don't now because we've got the preschool on site, but I'd bring her, but she was just always so nervous. She would like sit on my couch and whine. So it's just Mm. not the point. I've never had a dog leave a present in the uh, sanctuary, but at one point I was tickling my son um, in the sanctuary (laughs) and, and, and and I tickled him so hard that he piddled. So let me correct that. My wife tickled Lewis. And he peed on the floor. It wasn't me because I was like, "What the heck, Melissa? Now I got to clean this." <laughs> oh man! Oh man! Well, uh, I don't have uh, uh, any crazy things happening this weekend, but one thing I do know that's happening in a couple weeks is the Practically Pastoring Conference. Hey, Can't everybody! Wait. It's I'm so stoked about it. Practically Pastoring Conference. It's happening February 21st to the 23rd. Uh, we already have our flights. We got our accommodations figured out. Um, final details are happening. Things are being printed. It is super, super Let's exciting. And uh, we, we, we still have space for you. Um, someone someone messaged me last night, and they were like, hey, uh, I want to bring uh, the staff of my church to come to your conference. Uh, can you give me a promo code? And I said, absolutely. So if 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 you're still interested in coming to the conference, if you're if you're one of those people who are like, hey, I've, I'm still planning on coming to the conference. I just haven't bought my ticket. Stop that. Buy your ticket. <laughs> like, like, message me. Message one of us. We'll give you a, a good promo code. We want to see you there. We're so so excited. Every about every other day, we text each other about some of the things that are happening in the conference, and I just I'm I'm so so excited. So, I'm I'm most excited about the uh, we decided to do a uh, sermon illustration workshop based on what we're going to talk about in a minute, oh, yeah. and I'm really excited about that. Yeah, it's going to be very. <laughs> what, much what's weird lesson. is that Dell claimed the entire book of Ezekiel for his for his illustrations. Absolutely, <laughs> he was like, man. There's some good ones in there, and I just want to lay naked and play with poo. And we're all like, Dale, you got this. This is all you. And I appreciate that. <laughs> well, <laughs> another reason to come to the Practically Pastoring Conference, February 21st to the 23rd in Tarpon Springs, Florida. There won't be any cats in case you have any allergies, but there might be alligators outside. I don't know. Is there, do you know if there's alligators at his church? There's this always alligators. Come on, there's man! You alligators. live in Florida. You assume if it's a body of water, there's an alligator in there. <laughs> there's ge- there's there's turkeys. There's deer. There's all kinds of weird stuff out there at Lakeview. Yeah, it's gonna be a good time. Uh, PracticallyPastoringConference.com. Hey, we're gonna take a quick break, and we come back. We're gonna talk about uh, uh... the video that's been making the rounds the past twenty four hours. We'll be right back. So this is a, a very much a visual uh, thing to talk about, but uh, I don't want to rewatch it. And then two, I was thinking you can't about unsee taking, it. Yeah, I was thinking about taking the audio to play it, but even that kind of grosses me out. So if you haven't seen it, um, you don't have to see it. I would encourage you not to, but if you must see it, we're actually it's actually already posted in the practically pastoring. Facebook group. We have, we're actually having a very uh, it's one <laughs> most uh, talked about uh, post right now. Is it has like over thirty comments at the moment. 
uh, the, the videos in there. But ultimately, Pastor Mike Todd out in Tulsa, Oklahoma, did a sermon illustration, perceivably talking about the, the story of where Jesus uh, uh, cured the guy who was blind with uh, spit and mud. And he did the illustration where he spat in his hand a lot, made like really loud, gross loogies in his hand, rubbed it. to. Uh, it makes me so gross thinking about it and rubbed it in another man's eye on stage. And and it's disgusting. It's, it's and then super, it dripped super... all in the dude's beard. It was. Ugh. Yeah, it is. It's not pleasant. It's it's visibly disgusting. The man who he's doing it to is actually his brother. I hear, I heard. And the whole time, the whole time he was on stage, he knew what was going on and he like, didn't want to be there. Even the crowd's reaction, which like, I think we've talked about this before in the podcast where there's some churches where the pastor can say anything, no matter what. And the crowd is like cheering him on. Even Mm -hmm. the crowd's, the crowd's reaction is even like, yo, this is weird. (laughs) Like this is not. There was a few times where I heard somebody like, "Yeah, that's right," and I'm like, "Yeah, what?" There's one person that's not thinking critically about what's actually happening in front of you. They're in the back row and they can't see. It was probably an actual blind person. Oh no! Oh my god! You can't say that. I'm just saying, if you saw what was happening, you would not be saying yeah. No, but here's the thing: even if you didn't see what was happening, the clip of just the audio, if you listen to it, didn't make any sense. Yeah. Even what he said didn't really make any sense. He definitely took the text out of context. Um, but I, I that's I did, generous. I did, that, that's generous. <laughs> I did think about this. It's like if he, I mean, okay, let him spit in his hand. That's already super gross. And, and like everyone knows what he's alluding to, what he's going to do. Like everyone, you can feel the buildup going on. But let's say he's about to, and then he says psych, and he doesn't do it because he knows that is disgusting. If he says psych and then washes his hands, the least he did, was, the most he did at that point was just kind of did something really gross and then took a verse out of context. But because he actually put the spit on the dude's face, like it's trending on Twitter right now. And, and like universally. But not in a everyone, good way. Everyone's roasting him. Like there's no, there's no like – defending this action i mean not like i mean it's 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 interesting to see how unified every facet of of christian twitter is saying what (laughs) like this is weird man christian twitter nothing i saw it from uh what's her name jameel hill used to be like a sports center host Mm. yeah 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 Yeah, Yeah. that's that's not christian twitter that's 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 pop culture trivia uh twitter that's yeah well that's the other thing if you like google search mike todd his name is showing up like mostly like the salacious like you know websites, but like in like the news, like like local news is like local pastor spat in the dude's face. Like that's what's happened. Like the, I can't even imagine what's going on in this church right now or how he feels. So let me let me ask you guys a couple of questions. Based, you, everyone here saw I, the video. I just googled him, and the first thing that came up was TMZ. Yeah, if you are yeah. a pastor. That's not and good. The first thing that comes up is TMZ. <laughs> Something is wrong. It's not good. Um, uh, so I think we're all in agreement that this illustration's whack. But, like, what else do you think about it? Like, I, is this a symptom of a greater issue? Is this just poor lapse of judgment? What do you think? I, I mean, I said in our uh, – jokingly, I said in our text or group text, 
like bring the ecumenical councils back. But what I really meant by that was uh, to me, this seems like a symptom of a greater issue where, you know, I, it's like, I don't want to be too harsh and, and I want to be charitable, but this is maybe why there needs to be some time and maturity before you're, you know, you're on a big stage and before you're leading things. And to me, this is, I don't, I actually don't know if he is in a denomination or not, but this would be a reason why denominations are helpful um, because there is a, a greater accountability even beyond the walls of your church. But for sure, I mean, to me, the symptom is just like, where is wisdom? Where in the world is some older, wiser person saying, hey, I, I, I kind of see what you're doing here, but no, you can't. You can't do that. Like, where is the submission to older, wiser pastors who are who are going to tell you, you know, if you want to spit in your hand, maybe and wipe it off, I guess. Uh, even that is kind of doesn't do anything. And then definitely you're not rubbing it on anybody's face because that's all anyone's going to talk about. You're, no one's going to remember the point you were even trying to make if you even make it, which I don't think you did. And it's just like, it's just too far. There's just no, I just don't understand where wisdom is in this. Well, this definitely makes me very cautious because I think I see there's a trend with a lot of pastors, especially as the church grows, that they do surround themselves with, quote, other leaders, but these leaders only tell them things that they want to hear. They don't, they don't, like they sit around in rooms together and talk about how great they are together. But he needs like what you said, Jeff, you got to have some wisdom who will look you in the face and say, you're dead wrong. And this is very unwise. Yeah, and you, need, you need people around you who are not impressed by you and who don't care. Who can see right it, through like, all your insecurities. Yeah, who actually know you. Like I have a guy, his name's Larry. Mm -hmm. He's on my elder at, at my campus. He's 75. He is he is like if, if I'm considered like a green officer he's the the e8 staff sergeant you know what i'm saying like i need to be listening to this fella because his ear is to the ground and there's been several times when i've thought about doing something but he stepped in and he's like hey man let me tell you how people work and i just wonder first does this guy have that this doesn't seem like he does and second of all i think that this makes another great case for why you need to have some sort of sermon preview process in your church <laughs> Especially with today with things being streamed. I mean, there's definitely a, a, a thing where, it, 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 like, I don't know, like, I, I always want to give people the benefit of the doubt. But, like, after listening to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, now I just, like, kind of am very cynical of, like, anything of, like, really, really large churches. And I say that as a person in a large church, but we're not as... Um, as thoughtful when it comes to our marketing or our um, create create creative side of, of the church, but like you know, if you go to if you go to his website or his Instagram or the church's Instagram, it's a series of sermon clips that he does, and almost always those sermon clips are from the illustrations he gives. Yeah. Very rarely it's from the exposition of the text. Very rarely is it from just like I That's mean, it insight. happens, but but it's mostly like an illustration to explain something in the text that's very much like the application to a sermon. Right. Um, and I think, it, and rightfully so, like those are the things that are the most clippable because oftentimes exposition is not like neatly packaged, nor is it the most compelling thing for a three to five minute clip. Right. But um, 
I think my fear is that if you write your sermons in such a way to think for those three minute clips to be put on social media, I'm not saying he does that. I'm saying that there's maybe a temptation to write your illustrations to be so huge because if you know, if you follow uh, him at all, he has these very huge grandiose illustrations where it's like whole stage designs are made for the purpose to serve an illustration that he's going to give in the sermon. And, and that kind of gives me a little bit of a a fear of like, it's like, it's kind of like, I have this joke sometimes where I think of like um, the title of a podcast and think, I wish there was a podcast called this and then work your way backwards of like what the content of the podcast will be and like what it'll take to do that podcast. When all you have is like a silly idea of like a title of a podcast. It's like, I wonder if he's doing a thing where it's like, I want to do an illustration where I spit in my hand and put it in someone's face. Now, what's the sermon I can wrap around that? Which is not how you write sermons, which is not how, at all. Literally the uh, opposite <laughs> way to do it. And, and, I, and, I, uh, I could see where this fit in with the text. I, I get where yeah. he was going. So I don't, I don't think this is that. I think he's reading the text here and he's like, oh, I got an idea. And oh, by the way, I've got a little brother on staff. If he wants to stay on staff, <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's but it's I a really good staff. Yeah. His, his illustration, it made a point, but it did not make the point of the text, sure. you know? And to me, that's the thing. It's a sub, it's a sub point of a sub point that he was trying to elevate. And this is what happens when we find these flashy illustrations, we tend to pop them up to the top. And then what did people remember? A sub point of a sub point. They don't remember the gospel narrative that this text was really about. To your point, Frank, we need to be really careful that our creativity um, doesn't go beyond what the scripture scope of scripture is trying to communicate. Because if what, so, then we're just going for clips. There's a, there's a preaching principle. I don't know what book I read it in or who told me this, but there's a preaching principle about illustrations that I think is very important. Is illustrations always are there to serve the, the point of the text. It's not there to be the highlight of the text or the main focus of the text. Mm-hmm. And so if your illustration doesn't serve the text, you don't use it. Or if the illustration dis- d- d- um, distracts from the main point of the text, you don't use it. And so sometimes, I, and I think maybe there's a situation where we've all done this, where you have an, a, a very captivating story, an illustration that's like, oh man, this is a really good story that like, actually does serve the text but it's more I, I forgive me when i say this i know how it's to word it it's more interesting than your actual the rest of your sermon and so therefore everyone's just going to remember your illustration they're not going to remember anything you say in the sermon you failed at that sermon because what people are walking away with is not the point of the text which is the point of expositional preaching what they're walking away with is a really neat illustration that may or may not help them later and i think that is I think we are seeing, and and I'm including myself in this because I don't think Michael Todd is that. I think he's like maybe a year or two younger than me. I think we have grown up. We're like the like the thirty something millennials and younger are the first generation to grow up where we have hundreds of pastors, thousands of pastors that we can watch full sermons on online through YouTube and see their illustrations to listen to them. And no other previous generation has had that. They've had to read sermons or listen to sermons. And because of that, it's like, 
I think illustrations are becoming too prominent in our sermons, as not, but not to like serve the sermon, but being like, hey, when I say this illustration, it's going to be the part that gives it's going to give me the home run to the sermon, as opposed to just being faithful to the text. Which being faithful to the text is the home run to the sermon. Okay, can I can I piggyback off of that thought a little bit? So, does anyone here a hundred percent trust news media? I think that's a pretty obvious answer, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Where are you going with this, Alex Jones? Okay, I got my tinfoil hat. But like seriously, journalism used to be people really seeking for the truth. But then as news became more and more prevalent in the 24-hour cycle, especially as um, social media has popped up where you realize certain words get more clicks, certain words get more traffic, what has happened to the quality of our news? It's dropped. And and thus, what's happened to the trust in our news? It's dropped. Well, we're seeing the same thing happen in in our Christian spaces, right? Like it used to be these pastors would slave over these sermons. They're not going to get promoted anywhere. If you want to hear this sermon, you go to church and you, you submit to the leadership. You listen to the exposition of the word. Well, now you have these pastors online every single week. So you have all of them fighting to, to occupy this same digital space. So what do we need to do? We need to be more creative, push the envelope further, be more shock value. And I think all that's going to do is harm the message of the church. I think all it's going to do is make people say, oh, so Christians really, they're just kind of quirky and trying to do things to get my attention. When this guy, his bottom line should have never been, how do I get this content out to the masses on social media through a clip anyways? It should have been, how do I disciple and evangelize the people who are in my flock? But so often, and I think maybe you're not guilty, but I've even been guilty of how's this going to translate outside of the four walls? And sometimes we end up writing for that instead of, you know, quite honestly, for the glory of God, you know, we're trying to go for the clips. And I think we, if we're not careful, we're going to follow the same route that, uh, that's, that news has and that we're not trustworthy because we're just going for the clickbait. I want to play devil's advocate for a minute. I, I only saw the little bit of the clip that has been surfacing. I did not go back and watch the entirety of the sermon. I saw the, the two minute clip and gross, right? I mean, there's, there's no, there's no way of getting around. I mean, it was like you saw a loogie dripping from a dude's face and it was not his loogie. So that part, it's hard to get after, but we, none of us know the full context of the sermon. We could have, like we could have gone and taken, you know, and listened to the rest of the sermon to be like, Oh, okay. This dude's way off or this guy's, you know, great, whatever it is. But Here's the the thing that I get, and this is I think I'm, I'm assuming this is what John nine is the the man who was born blind that he's preaching af- um preaching on. But miracles, especially for me, are one of those things. There are few passages in the New Testament that are more captivating than a good Jesus healing somebody miracle, and the application is so tricky because. We always want to put ourselves in that position. Hey, Jesus wants to heal your this. Jesus wants to heal your that. And that is a difficult thing to do because we're not going to be a blind guy waiting for a pool, waiting for an angel to come stir the water. You know, we're not going to be someone who has a medical condition that's been lasting for decades and decades. Um, I don't think any of us are going to have Jesus come into our child's bedroom and heal them and then tell us not to tell. Like, we're not going to be the person that experiences the miracle. And so when we try to apply the miracle or the text with the miracle to our lives, 
at least for, for me, when I'm preaching those passages, it is tricky. It is not always the easiest to apply, but we know we need to. It's not only is it inspired, it's God breathed, but the gospels, we think if any part of scripture is applicable to every area of our lives, it's these. And so I, I get looking for something to make surface level for each and every person in the congregation. So I, I think it, the whole, the illustration was gross. The video will live in my head for forever, but I understand what was trying to be done. And I don't think we should demonize that. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you. As I've good, been sitting here, a, a good, a good commentary is a great friend. As I've been sitting here, I guess I've kind of like stepped back from the ledge a little bit of being frustrated about it because I'm kind of coming to the same place that you are, Andrew, where I'm like, okay, from that, you know, story in the Gospels, I peripherally at least, I get the spit, I get the like, sometimes the things that God does are messy. Okay, for me, I guess where I'm still landing is like, there's a there needs to be a wisdom that says this is too far. And yeah. especially this is too far if it's going to be like, I mean, gosh, read the read the the room, so to speak, of the Internet. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you think that clip is going to go? But how did Twitter? it go? How did it go? I guess they're like the, in the actual the, room. In too, the actual yeah. room, there's people there's people thinking that it's gross. But he knows the context of his people way right. better than we. he. I hope he is not preaching that for the Internet. I'm hoping he is preaching it for his people. Yeah. who he has exegeted his audience enough to know this is far enough, this is too far, this is not far enough, that we don't know his congregation. He does. He preaches to them each and every week. That's fair. So, I, again, it's disgusting. I don't want that ever on the Internet. And there's a whole lot of very specific to my church things that if they were on the Internet, people might be like, that's a little bit weird, that's a little bit cheesy. Like Hopefully cats. None of, like cats. Hopefully no one would find it to be disgusting. But maybe being disgusting is better than being heretical. Well, and I was talking to my wife about this last night. If I'm going to get mocked, I want it to be for something that I can be like, well, I mean, that's, hey, that is the way we view this or that. That is, I'm sorry that, you know, that's that's our theology. That's the gospel. If you're going to mock, go ahead and mock. I don't want to be mocked for something like that. That is, because the, the reality is we don't need illustrations like that to actually preach. We really don't. You don't have to have them. Let me go super old school. You've had to listen to the podcast for a year to get this. What is, what is a crazier illustration? The spit in the eye and the dripping into the dude's beard or the, uh, arc encounter, whatever that was where the Jesus is just like the sloth, whatever that one was. Yeah. I mean, how is it any, like one is they're both ridiculous. They both went viral on Twitter. But one is trying to make a valid point, and the other. Well, and one is in it. Well, you could argue one is in a in a Sunday morning service. That's what I was about to say. Pastor, one's behind the pulpit, which, well, Jeff, you know, I don't. I want to. I want to kind of agree with you in a sense that you know what you just echoed was in Matthew when Jesus says, you know, blessed are when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Like if right. if if I'm going to receive. Um, critique may it be because I'm saying the things of God, right? Not because I'm taking the things of God and taking my absurd creativity and putting behind it. Uh, because I mean, 
I mean, that's a fair point. We didn't have the whole context. But let's just say I'm preaching a sermon, and in the middle of the sermon, I want to help everybody feel how Adam and Eve felt when they first ate that fruit. So I stripped down naked, right? In front of everybody, I stripped down butt naked, right? I made a really good point. No one wants to see that, right? Like, I don't even like to see that, right? So the point being, like, the rest of the the, the sermon doesn't save my poor judgment in that one part of the sermon, if, at least in, in my view. I feel like even though my intent was good, like the execution can still destroy your intent. Right. I think that's important. And I would say, too, like, to, to kind of to Andrew's point, this is not the first time. I mean, how many of us did, to be technical? I, I think this is more of an object lesson than an illustration, you know, because it's a mm-hmm. physical thing happening. And how many of us have seen the most ridiculous object lessons when we were in youth group, we were at camp, we were whatever. I mean, I can't remember anything specific, but I know for sure there were more than one occasion where something extremely shocking and inappropriate happened that you look back on now and are like, how did that person not get fired for doing that? So it's not like this is the first time this has ever happened. I do think we're in a world where this can go viral the next day. Mm-hmm. And and so that has to factor into, you know, if that's part of who I am as a pastor, it's not part of who I am as a pastor. I, I'm not worried about what I say in church getting out and being on a but if I'm a pastor who makes clips, I have to I think you have to be wise and say, if I do this on camera, how is this gonna end up and what's gonna happen and should I not allow it to you know, I, I just think that to me there was just a lack of wisdom in the execution of of letting it go too far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, again, I'm playing devil's advocate. This is not an illustration or an object lesson that I would use. Here's my question. Did Paul go too far when he said that all his righteousness, you know, or, you know com- he compared Fair. everything to, to Scubalon? Is that is that going too far? Or Isaiah when he talked about his righteousness being like filthy rags? Because those weren't just any filthy rags he was referring right. to. So this, again— well, or even to say I have been crucified with Christ yeah. has a whole different meaning than it did than it does for us. Yes. So I'm saying, you know, spit on somebody's face is one thing. Paul went the other end of spit. So does I. So did Isaiah. So hmm. I, I, I think this is gross. I don't want to have anybody in my church volunteer for me to put spit on their face. But I'm not the pastor of his church. So uh, we, uh, I, I looked up the YouTube video. the The passage was from Mark eight, uh, twenty through to twenty six. Where I think this um, is one of the miracles that's in all four Gospels, though. Yeah, the, the blind man Bethsaida. Yeah, and so, uh, but so the context of this sermon is it's uh, it's a Vision Sunday, and he's trying to he's sharing the 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 word for the year, the vision for the church, and. The whole context of the sermon is that, like, it's the issue is not vision. The problem is the clarity of vision from God. Like, that's kind of where they're going with it. And and I, if I'm understanding the context of the sermon from what I'm gathering in the new in the in the context of everything is, is the spit of Jesus clearing up the eyes is what's going to help us have the clarity of vision of what God has for us. Regardless of that, it's a gross illustration. That leads me to my final question on this topic. Um, I asked a bunch of guys on Facebook, or not, not a bunch of guys. I asked everyone in the Facebook group to share an illustration that they ca- thought kind of uh, bombed or failed. And boy, 
did it not disappoint, guys? Amazing. Uh, there's some really amazing ones. One um, was that uh, a guy cu- uh, punched a glass, uh, like a mirror or something, and he cut his hand really bad to the point where like, he was bleeding dur- during the whole sermon, and uh, he had to cut his message short. This one blew me away. I once heard a guy bring a, a, a lamb to camp. The students played with it all week. So and on crazy. Friday night, oh he sacrificed it by the fire. <laughs> I, I, what? I, what? I, a savage. See, this, hey, this was, was this at Lake Aurora? Aurora? I was say, this no. is a story that we told at Lake Aurora, the camp that Jeff and I have so much history with. Oh this has gosh. to be an urban legend that I, I mean, I, when I was in seminary, I, I worked at a, as a valet with a Muslim guy. And they like his Muslim community in Dallas. They still sacrifice goats from time to time. So I get sure. that this is a wow. You know, so so maybe, but this has to be an urban legend, right? Hey man, you uh, never know. I heard about this preacher who hawked a loogie in his hand this past week yes. and smeared it in some guy's <laughs> eyes. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've heard I've heard a similar story, but I heard it from like a missions trip. Like someone went overseas to like the Ukraine or something. They were working in some remote area. All the kids in the youth group were playing with this goat. And at the end of the week, they killed the goat so everyone could eat it. And the kids were like traumatized by it. I've heard <laughs> versions of this story before, but like, I'm here's the thing: I wouldn't put it past any youth pastor or speaker to think I have this idea. Let's. Let's everyone enjoy this lamb and feel the pain of the sacrifice. That'd be so crazy. Um, See, you know, when people- you say youth pastor illustrations, that when I saw this video, I thought, oh, no. Every youth pastor in America is spitting in someone's eye this week. That's, that <laughs> oh, was yeah. my first thought, was that poor kid in youth group doesn't even know what's coming. <laughs> Instant super spreaders everywhere. Hey, this is uh, post-recording uh, editing Frank uh, chiming in real quick. Since we recorded this podcast, there was a video put up by Mike Todd that he apologizes for the video, and that is also shared in the Facebook group if you want to see it. But just from me personally, uh, I I think it's a good apology video, and it looks like he kind of just realized that, yeah, it was probably an immature and silly illustration that went too far, and it was super gross, and he agrees with everyone's position that it was a super gross uh thing so anyways just wanted to add that to the podcast because it literally happened right after we recorded this and i didn't want it to seem like we were just trashing him and we didn't acknowledge it so here's the acknowledgement and we're back to the show we want to hear your like crazy sermon illustrations or object lessons has gone wild we have a whole list of them going on in the facebook group uh, so go to practically pastoring in the Facebook group to, to to add your own. It's so great. We're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna have a great interview from Matt Steen. Hey, we're back, and we're about to hear a great conversation with Matt Steen, the co-founder of Chemistry Staffing, and we talk about the the great resignation that's not just happening in our country, but it's also happening in the churches, and we're going to talk about how this is affecting the church and what our church is doing about it. Check out this interview. Hey, I'm here with Matt. Matt, how are you doing? I'm I'm doing well, man. It is um, January it is, you know, in the 70s. 
I, it's it doesn't snow here, and I'm going to Disney this weekend. What what could be better? Uh, yeah, you're in the polar opposite of the country of where I'm at right now. So it, it, it it's very cold up here. There's still snow on the ground, but uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to next month when I'll be seeing temperatures more your style. But hey, Matt, yeah. uh, could you introduce yourself to the to the Parkley Pastoring crowd? Yeah, so Matt Steen, I have spent. Um, I feel old when I say this, 20 some odd years working with churches. I was a youth pastor for eight, planted a church in Baltimore, you know, spent a, served a few different churches in executive pastor role. Um, and then most recently, five years ago, um, launched chemistry staffing. And we, we come alongside churches and just help them find, you know, healthy long-term fits for their, for their ministry openings. I've had a lot of questions about jobs and how to get them, what's going on. And also on the other side, um, people looking to hire youth pastors, associate pastors, kids pastors, and also, you know, telling me that there's, there's either not a lot of great candidates right now, or people are quitting and things like that. So I want to talk about the current hiring trends. So my first question to you, man, is, is what trends are you seeing right now <laughs> in, uh, we're in our third, we're entering our third year of COVID we are uh the, the church is 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 divided as ever <laughs> when it comes to like politics and whatever. Hey, what trends are you seeing when it comes to church staffing at uh at churches right now? Yeah, so so there's a lot going on. I mean, really, you know, it's it has been um however many, you know, however many decades this COVID thing has been, it 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 is it, it's caused a whole awful lot of carnage, right? And so as we talk to people, um, I feel like we're, we're referring a lot of people to, to counseling um, just to kind of work through some of the some of the pent up hurt and burnout and, and all those kinds of issues that, that have resulted from this from the apocalypse that we've been through. Um, so there's there's a lot of that going on. Um, one of the things that um, that has really surprised me. Um, and, and people will fight me about this and it's okay. They can, they can be wrong. Um, but I'm pretty convinced that, um, worship and, and student ministry roles have taken the pandemic harder than anybody else. Um, what we've, what we've observed is that you have, um, you know, March of 2020 senior pastors came into those, those two people's offices and said, Hey, look, I need you to innovate the church, you know, 30 years and 30 days. Right. You know, get us up online, get us up doing the stuff that we should have been doing, you know, back in the 90s, you know, get us get us get us going. And so by default, their role, their, you know, 40, 50, 60 hour a week job became, you know, serving as online campus pastor. Right. Because typically those are the most tech savvy roles, you know, on a church staff team. Um, So what we found is that, you know, that's that's where their their job kind of shifted to. And the next thing you know people start going back in person and you, you know how it goes in church. You've been in this long enough, Frank. You, it's, it's, you know, you're not going to stop doing the online campus pastor thing because there's traction. There's, there's some fruit coming out of that. And in some ways they're the most growth that we've had in the church has been through that. But then you also have to go back to doing your, your day-to-day youth or worship role. And so, 
you know, all of a sudden you've got your 40 hours doing online campus pastor and getting that to happen and then back to youth or worship. And, and so people are typically, they're, you know, good soldiers have kind of grit their teeth and say, hey, I can do this through Christmas. And then in 2021, everything's going to go back to normal. It's going to be great. But we saw how that worked out. Um, and so around March and April um, of 2021, we watched as those two roles just started leaving in mass. You know, it's just like, I haven't seen my kids in 18 months. I need to, you know, I need to rethink life, all that kind of thing. And so overnight, you know, we lost a great deal of, of long-term skilled, experienced youth pastors and worship pastors um, because, you know, of burnout and, and just, you know, frustration and, and, and everything that came from, from being what should have, you know, what everybody thought was going to be a sprint that turned into the world's fastest marathon. Um, so that's, that's one of the biggest things that we're seeing is that, is that it's just significant turnover in those roles. Um, the other thing that we're seeing and, and, you know, is we, we've saw, seen a lot of, um, you know, COVID kind of exposed a lot of things in the church and, and COVID also accelerated a lot of things in the church. And one of the things that we saw accelerated was, um, was, was succession. So we've had a lot of pastors of a certain age who, you know, some of them, you know, they had a five-year plan and they came to realization, you know what, I'm not the guy to lead this on the other side of this. And so I need to step out now. Um, and some of those were incredibly healthy. And then we also had some that were just kind of a panic and it's just like, I got to get out of here. Um, whether it's because they're tired of getting beat up um, by parishioner, you know, or, or they're tired of, uh, you know, or just don't know how to lead through this. Um you know, so we saw them kind of leave and had to do a bunch of crash successions, right? And so, and and I get, I get why. You know, for the last since March of 2020, every decision that a pastor's made has been the wrong one, right? Whether it's do we shut down or do we stay open? It's you know, do we wear masks or not? You know, throw in all the all the um, racial stuff that had been going on, and you know, every every statement that was made was wrong there too. You know election conversations. Now it's vaccines and, you know, here comes Omicron and what do you do with that? And so it's like, regardless of the decision made, it's been the wrong one because we're just, you know, we've been trained over the last 20, 30 years to be at each other's throats if we disagree. And, and pastors are just kind of at the point where it's like, dude, (laughs) you know, I don't, I'm making 25 grand a year with no benefits. You know, this is not good for my health. And, and so we're seeing a lot of guys just kind of punch for that reason. So that's, that's the big picture. You're welcome for the sunshine and rainbows on that one. Sure. You said that uh, youth pastors and worship pastors just like kind of left, like, are they leaving ministry or are they just leaving their church? Both. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's a both hand, right? So yeah. a lot of them are leaving ministry altogether. Um, my, my big prayer, Frank, right now is that, you know, there is a time of healing that this is kind of a sabbatical form and that they come back because I'm, I'm a little concerned about the depth, the, the bench depth of the church right now. Um, we're, we're not seeing, you know, the rising, you know, generations, refill the ranks like like once happened you know the the catholics or catholic friends have been have been suffering with this for a long time but where they've been able to replace you know pastors and or priests in north america has been from the global south the evangelical church we don't have that kind of infrastructure 
And so we're not able to do that as, you know, like, like they are. And so, you know, we're, we're hearing stories of um, seminaries shutting down, of Bible colleges shutting down. We're hearing stories of, of people getting, you know, ministry degrees with no intention of working in the local church. I'm hearing stories of decent established residents, um, residencies that are struggling to find people and the people that they're finding really have no desire to work in ministry on the other side of the residency. Um, so my hope is that we, we see um, these, you know, these friends of ours that have left, you know, get the healing, get the time away that they need and then come back. That's, that's my big prayer. Wow. Wow. Um, so you kind of hinted towards this. I know like in right now in my city, in Milwaukee, every Starbucks is either like closing at one o'clock or they're just only doing drive through restaurants you go to, they're saying they're, they're severely understaffed. Um, it just seems like so many businesses specifically like in the service or the service industry is, is just like really struggling to hire people. And, and affectionately the news has called it the great resignation. And it sounds like it's affected the church too. Could you speak to that as like, how has the great resignation affected the church and how has it like um, kind of like devastated churches? Cause I, I can only say from my church, we are trying to hire a couple roles, and it seems like it's difficult to fill those roles. But those roles that are most difficult to fulfill are like those part-time, some are admin roles, some are like um, just part-time worship roles or youth roles. Not the it, It's just been hard to find people. So, so yeah. how has the Great Resignation affected the church in your eyes? Yeah, it's um, it's real. I mean, it, it, it really is. And, you know, the, the reason the reason you guys are struggling, Frank, is because you never did call me. Just saying. Um, not 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 bitter much about that. No. <laughs> well, we're so, that. I'll get it. Yeah. 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 yeah call me. Um, so so we are seeing that across across the ministry spectrum. I mean, yeah. Youth worship. We, we mentioned that, um, you know, kids, all, all the all the different roles. Well, we've you know, we've listened to some church leaders in really healthy churches that have said, hey, you know, we're watching as staff walk away because they need to be back closer to family or because they're just kind of rethinking the hours that they're putting, you know, that, that they're putting in and, and kind of looking at things. You know, this this has been a great season of, of reflection um, for people in ministry. Um, and, and what we're, what we're kind of walking through with churches right now is, Hey, how are you caring for your staff? You know, how are you caring for your team in, and, you know, churches historically, you know, there are, there's some churches that do this incredibly well. Um, and there are, you know, we've all heard the horror stories. And so the churches that have been really good about caring well for their team, not like coddling them and, and, and allowing for bad behavior or anything like that, but making sure that they know that they're appreciated, you know, compensating them fairly, those types of things. Um, they've, they've done okay, but there still is the draw to be closer to family, right? There still is the draw to be within a three hour drive of, of their parents. You know, um, you can't, you can't fight that, but you know, the churches that are, that are staying stable through this are, are caring well for their team and realizing, you know, one of the things that, that was really eye opening for me, Frank, is, you know, Amazon, you can make 45 or 50 grand a year, get really good benefits. And you know what the coolest part of that is? Um, Jeff Bezos doesn't call you at 1130 at night and say, hey, the worship was too loud this week. You know, I mean, I, every pastor I know has this moment where they're like, if I go work at Popeye's, I don't have to bring that work home. 
Like everybody, no. I every pastor I know has that moment where they 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 oh, have yeah. that feeling. It'd be so much easier to work at Amazon for sure. Oh yeah, you get you get first, and if you work at Popeyes, you get first dibs on that chicken sandwich. I mean, it's like, dude, score. So there's there's a lot of that, and a lot of the conversations that we're having with churches are saying it's it, this is a good time to reevaluate one how you're staffing your church, right? But two, how you're caring for your team, how you're compensating, how you're making sure that you know this is a place where they want to stay. And that's the, those are some those are some challenging conversations to have, as you, I mean, you can imagine. Yeah. Wow. Um, so you, you kind of hinted towards this. Like, think about the senior pastor listening to this, and and they they see that their youth pastor, their worship pastor, whoever on their staff is, might be getting burnt out. There's, mm-hmm. You know, maybe even hinted towards leaving. They they realize that this great resignation is kind of creeping into their church. What are the churches that are that are that are combating this well? The Great Resignation. What are they doing? Whether it comes to caring for their people or restructuring their their, their staff, what are they doing? Yeah. So, oh man, there's 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 all sorts of places we can go with that one. So buckle up um, and and redirect me as as you need to. So, couple couple things. The first thing um, for a senior pastor is you need to hold this loosely, right? You need to realize that they're not your staff. Um, you need to realize that that God is not surprised by the season that we're in. And if somebody if somebody leaves, you know you you need to you need to care well for them in that transition as much as you can, right? And 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 do an exit interview, you know, for the love. Do do the exit interview. Maybe not you. Maybe somebody that's a neutral party on your team to ask some of the questions like why why are you leaving. And potentially unearth some of the things that you that you didn't see, right? That that's one part. Second part is I think um, we're we're in a season where everybody everybody's just anxious, and that anxiety has really taken its toll. And so um, I think there's there needs to be a flexibility on our part. There needs to be an understanding that you know we need to we need to care well and make sure that our team is getting is getting cared for. So what does that mean? That means senior pastor, you need to be caring for yourself. You you need to make sure that you are in a emotionally and a spiritually and, and honestly a physically healthy space. And you need to model that for your team. You need, you need to be taking Sabbath. You need to be making sure that you are um, growing and engaging in other pursuits other than ministry and caring for your family and setting good boundaries there. Because what that does is that gives permission to your team. Okay. The other thing is you, you need to realize that um, not everything is worth a text message, you know, after 7 p.m., right? Give people the space to be able to be off work. Um, you know, we, we all kind of tell ourselves, oh, they'll just they'll only respond if they, you know, if, if they have a second. No, you're the boss. You know, you, you, you have you have power over them, whether you want to admit it or not. And they're going to feel pressure to respond to you. Um, so give them the space that they need to be able to, to, to do their thing. The other thing is this, um, well, a couple of other things. One, um, make sure that they know that they're, that they're supported, that they're cared for and, and help them find opportunities to grow and develop their skills. Okay. Um, the other thing is, and the last thing is this, we are having more conversations with people that don't see that don't see a, um, a career path in front of them, you know, that that's kind of like a dirty businessy type of a word. And we kind of cringe internally at that, 
But man, what I'm seeing is I'm having conversations with people all the time that are kind of looking at where they are in their church. They're saying, hey, I'm far from my family. I, I love my church. I love what I'm doing. But I don't want to be a youth pastor for the next 10 years because that's that's how long the guy that's above me is is going to be in place. Right. And so they're starting to kind of look around. And one of the one of the things that has become more and more a conversation that we're having with candidates is this idea of career path. What's next for me? Am I locked into this for the foreseeable future? Because there is there really is no chance for you know, for me to move into an executive pastor role or an adult discipleship role or senior pastor or campus pastor role. So, you know, be working. Um, One of the things that really communicates well to candidates, especially some of the rising generations, is that you want to develop them into something else. And if they develop into a great campus pastor for another church, you have served the kingdom well. If they, if they, you know, develop into a great campus pastor or an executive pastor for your church, dude, bonus, Right. But those those are some of the things that I would say, you know, just with current staff. Um, now, you 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 asked also about, you know, re- restructuring and all that kind of thing. Yeah, man, I um, this is this is going to sound weird for for a uh, for a staffing company guy to say, um, but we're we're encouraging churches to 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 get. Um, less staff heavy. Okay. So I'm pretty convinced that most churches in this country are overstaffed. You know, I love, I love Tony Morgan's one, you know, one full-time equivalent to every hundred people on Sunday morning type of analogy. Um, I know that's super lean and there's a lot of churches that that may never happen to, but I think, I think we're averages, I don't know. And you, you may fact check me on this. It's probably like one to 40, one to 50. Um, I think a lot of it, a lot of us, a lot of our churches are overstaffed. And so what I'm encouraging um, pastors to think about now as they look to plan for the future is, is to staff with, um, with, with, or we, we call it padding your staff because, you know, went to seminary and it has to be an acronym. You know, we're, we're saying, you know, look for people that are pastoral, look for people that are agile and look for people that are development minded. Okay. And with that, that means we might be moving away from from the specialist in 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 different roles and moving to more generalists that have the ability to to serve as a pastor to care for the spiritual development of key leaders, key volunteers, but also are able to develop them to own roles that we may have staffed for, whether part time or full time in the past. Right? You know, church of three four hundred doesn't need eight people on full time staff. You know. Um, I think that's that's probably a little overkill. And what we found, and, and you've probably seen this too, you know, the, the leaner churches, the ones that have more volunteer engagement are the ones that are super healthy and have weathered the storm well. And so we're encouraging, you know, a church of three, four hundred doesn't need a specialist in every role. Um, a church of three, four hundred needs a couple of people that can really develop and unleash people to use their gifts. And if we st- if we staff a little bit leaner, we're able to care, you know, care for financially and from a benefit standpoint, far better for the, for the team that we have. Um, and when we have the inflation that we're seeing right now, that's going to, that's going to serve you well. So I don't, I don't know if that's where you were hoping I'd go, but man, I tell you what, I feel like I'm rambling all over the place, man. No, no, that was, that, that was wonderful. You actually said something that, that I've actually thought a lot about when you said like, 
for the senior pastor or any kind of um, direct report um, or I, I don't know what the position would be called when they are the boss to not text them after 7 p.m. Even if you're, you're not like necessarily expecting a response, because mm-hmm. even if the, the, the manager, the boss, the senior pastor, whatever you want to call them is like super friendly and you have a good relationship with them. When you text them at seven after seven o'clock, because of the power dynamic, it feels like I must respond to this now. And yeah. it always puts the, the, the person in a weird position. And so it, sometimes, at least in my church, I've asked a question, whether it's to my executive pastor or to my senior pastor, I'm saying, hey, I understand that you're just, we're just talking right now. But is this like, when they ask me a question that feels like, hey, completely change the service or, hey, yeah. completely you know, do this. I'm always, I, sometimes I directly ask, is this a conversation that we're just kind of spitballing right now? Or are you telling me you want me to change communion right now? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I have, yeah. I directly ask those questions. Even, even since I do have a good relationship with my, my senior pastor, my executive pastor and all the other stuff, because, um, but I know a lot of people who are not in that position and they feel like the moment they get the text message, they have to drop what they're doing yeah. and immediately respond to an email, immediately respond to a decision. Yeah. And sometimes it's your pastor is just being casual and those dynamics are awkward sometimes in the church. Yeah. You know, I um. so so one of the ways that I used to lead up on this and, and some people may say this is a little passive aggressive. And if so, I can, you know, send, send me send me counselor suggestions. Um, I, I would when I would get something like that, or if I got a phone call, like on my day off, I would always answer it. And, and when they said, Oh, I thought this was your day off. I would say something along the lines of, Oh, it is. But I figured the only reason you'd be calling me if something was on fire <laughs> nice, nice, yeah. or, or if they didn't say anything about it, I, I would say something along the lines of, Hey, this is, this is my day off, but you're, you know, this is obviously super important to you. So is this something that can't wait? Yeah, You know, and, and kind of, and, and honestly, you know, I just, I have one of those personalities, which, you know, I'm going to go do it. Not everybody, not everybody's going to play that way, but you know, with, after about two or three times, the message was communicated and, you know, people, people started to get the point. Right. And so for, for me, I could educate cause I was in a senior level role and there's only a couple of people that, you know, would, would do that. Um, but, you know, not everybody can do it. But if you're able to kind of help educate, hey, you know, you know, it's seven o'clock. I'm, I'm my two year old is in the bath. Do I need to do I need to pull him out of the bathtub right now in order to take care of this? Or is this something that can actually wait until tomorrow? Yeah. You know, text text messages. We think they're friendly, but they're not. They're urgent. Yeah, that's it's true. It's true. Um, so we kind of focus mostly on the church. And I want to mm-hmm. focus specifically on a candidate, on someone who is either looking for a job right now or in the position of, of maybe looking. I loved how you mentioned career path and like thinking through. I know I've been in the position before my current church where I felt like I was at the end of my runway and there mm-hmm. was no place to go. And I was at that moment like ready to drop everything, go to seminary full time go be an intern at some church. Like I was ready to make all kinds of poor decisions in, that, in my season of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, there was a pastor who who sat me down and made me pull out a pad and pen and kind of just gave me all the suggestions I need to be where I am right now. And I'm really grateful for that because now I'm in a church that when I got hired as a youth pastor, 
sought to build into me a career path where they said in five years we could see you as a campus pastor or send you yeah. out and and I know that's like an exception to the rule it feels like for a lot of churches where for like for a lot of people it seems like the only way to a get a raise or b get to where you want is by quitting and finding a new job and that's super unfortunate yeah. so um how are who like how what are candidates right now that are crushing it in the midst of the great recession or the resignation the great resignation in the midst of this time how are candidates crushing it where they're getting jobs their resumes look good and they are they're doing well getting the roles that they want at the at the at the pay that they deserve Oh wow! At the pay that they can deserve. Um, well, you can be flexible <laughs> on that last one. I, I, was, I was being ambitious in that last part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so let, let's be honest. This is this is a candidate's market right now, with with the number of people that have left ministry, with the number of people that are moving that are moving on. Um, it's 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 a good time to be looking for a role, um, but that doesn't mean it's easy. Okay, let's let's be let's be clear of that. The first thing, so I yes, yesterday actually I was I was with a group of children's pastors talking about how to get a job right now. Um and and so here's here's a few things that I would that I would put out there and then we could talk more about this if you want. You know, first first things first, um make sure you're ready to make a transition. Okay? Make make sure that you're healthy enough to, to make a shift, make sure that your family is healthy enough that your, your wife and kids or husband and kids don't hate the church. Make sure that you're going to be able to go in and, and genuinely trust new leadership and not, you know, bring the baggage from your last church into it. Um, make sure that you're at a place where you're going to be able to fully engage from day one instead of, you know, holding back for six to eight months and saying, I don't, I, I want to make sure I can trust these people first. Um, so with, with that, I would, I would encourage you to get with some mentors, get with people that know you well, people that, you know, if they tell you the truth, it's not going to cost them anything. Um, but their, their, their goal is to see you thrive. Um, the other thing I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you to do is I've got a couple of downloads. Um, Frank, I'll, I'll, I'll share those, share the URLs so that you can, you can push them out to the crowd. One's called before you go and one's called when to leave. Um, a couple of books by Wade Hodges that it's it's a phenomenal, phenomenal resource that for people that are thinking about transitioning. It's a bunch of questions. Read it with your spouse. Grab a box of tissues. And remember, it's a PDF. So you're like reading it on an expensive device. So don't throw it across the room. Um, you're going to hate it, but because it's going to ask you some personal stuff. But at the same time, it's going to help you wrestle through whether it's time to move on or not. Uh, one other thing. One other thing on this. Sometimes the healthiest thing you can do is take 18 to 24 months out of ministry. And that's not a bad thing. You know, people are like, but I'll have a gap on my resume. That's, that's not a problem. That's not as big of an issue as you think it is, as long as you can explain it later. Um, so, so that's, that's the first thing. Make sure you're healthy enough to, to move on. Second thing I encourage people to do is figure out what are your non-negotiables. Okay. What is it that you need to see in your next church? You know, is there is there a salary that you need to have? You know, we oh here we go talking about money in church. You know, um, the biggest thing that causes issues in marriage is typically financial financial issues, right? So you need to know based on your student loan debt, based on whatever debt you got, based on the number of kids and and the cost of living in the area that you're moving into. Um, and if you need a tool for that, DataUSA.io is really good. 
Um, but understand where you need to be salary wise. Um, there's some great tools to show you what the what the market's paying, but just understand that they're guides. You know, churchsalary.com is is strong. Christianity Today's done a lot of good work with that lately. Um, but understand that that is not the rule. It's a guide. Okay. What you really need to know is where do you need to be in order to be able to 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 live in a way that's not going to cause undue stress to your to your marriage. Okay. Also, you know, in that non-negotiable list, you know, are there are there types of locations that you need to be in? Is there a geographical radius that you need to be in? Um, are you better suited for rural churches? Or are you better suited for inner city churches? You know, what is what are your non-negotiables? What are the places you need to be? Theology is a big part of that. You know, do you need to be in a egalitarian church? Do you need to be in a complementarian church? You know, are you super reformed? Are you super not reformed, you know, under, you know, know that stuff going in because what that's going to allow you to do is be super picky when you go through the process of finding the church. A lot of times what people will do is, is go on church staffing and do what we call a church staffing bender, where it's just like, I'm looking for a youth role. I'm going to send a resume out to every single youth role on church staffing, you know, whether it's John MacArthur's church or the Pentecostal church down the street, right? You know, so understand what it is that you're looking for and what your non-negotiables are, and then start to target those churches um, and, and just do, do a limited, don't, don't go sending resumes out to everybody because the truth is um, most churches are not going to respond to you by email, right? My last search, Frank, I did, this sounds arrogant, I'm a good candidate, right? I got a good bit of experience as executive pastor, have the MDiv, have the MBA, you know, blah, 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 blah. We worked at some great churches, you know, all that kind of thing, right? I put a tracking pixel in every email that I sent a resume out to because I'm just, I'm geeky like that. Um, of the ones that opened the email, you know, 85% never sent me a response. Nothing like, hey, wow. you know, Here's next steps. No, thank you for your resume. No, we hate your guts. Don't ever contact us again. You know, crickets. And understand that just because you don't get responses does not mean that you're not called to ministry. All that means is that churches are really bad at, at communicating once they get a resume. And frankly, that's part of the reason why I have a job. So I, that's those those are the beginnings. I mean, I can go I can go for days on this yeah. kind of thing because we we do a thing called Job Seeker Boot Camp. Yeah. You know, where we just help you get your resume ready to go, help you kind of prep for for interviews, help you prep to discuss salary and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, those are those are the basic starting points, you know, to to jump off from. Well, Matt, this was so helpful and so good. I really appreciate it. anything where where can uh if folks want to reach out to you uh, if churches want to use you to hire for some positions or they want to reach out because they want to use uh, church staffing to be able to find their next role, uh, how can they contact you? Yeah, chemistrystaffing.com is, is, the, easiest, is the easiest place to, to find us organizationally. Um, and and for, for anybody, I mean, any of, any of your, your listeners, you know, if you go to chemistrystaffing.com slash Matt dash Steen, um, That'll take you to, to a landing page that'll allow you to get some time on my calendar. You know, we can do a 30 minute conversation and just kind of talk a little bit, you know, about 
where your church is, where you are, you know, have those kind of conversations and just see what we can, what we can do to kind of walk with you in the season. All right. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yeah, man. My pleasure. Always good to be with you, Frank. So it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting that like a really a wild object lesson really got us talking for a long time. We really had a lot of thoughts and opinions on this, but uh, but hey, uh, there may or may not be an object lesson workshop at the Practically Pastoring Conference uh, led by Delmar, um, specifically coming out of the Book of Ezekiel. So we're really looking forward to that, and uh, and we're also um, going to have a live action. Uh, object lesson when we go shark fishing and and give illustrations about what it means to be fisher of men as we catch sharks Del- with that being I, delmar yeah, i want ahead. you to give a workshop solely using southern colloquialisms in the book of ezekiel <laughs> oh man that That'd thing be, be hotter amazing. than a goat's butt in a pepper patch see that's what i'm talking about <laughs> so weird that's awesome <laughs> that's awesome hey I, there's a couple of southerners coming into uh the the conference yeah i Hopefully think dan's gonna be there colloquialisms yeah it'll be great uh with that being said we we joined the facebook group uh sign up for the conference at practicallypastoringconference.com follow us on instagram Follow all of us individually. We, we, we don't mind some more followers. We, we like some more friends. But with that being said, we'll see you next week. I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm not Timothy Miller. This is Frankly Pastoring. <laughs> see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better. 